Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast. You may not realize the Alamo is an active archaeological site. And for the past few months, careful work performed by seasoned experts outside the lawn barrack has yielded a treasure trove of artifacts. Today, we reveal the extraordinary archaeological discoveries now uncovered and how even 300 years since the mission was founded, we still have so much more to learn about the site. I'm your host, Emily Balkum. We're joined by the Alamos archaeologist, Dr. Tiffany Lindley. Happy New Year, Tiffany. Happy New Year to you. Let's start with the basics. What is happening at the Lawn Barrack? So right now we have um, a large-scale excavation in advance of the installation of a subterranean drainage system. What are you looking for? So we're not looking for anything specific, and that's a question we get asked a lot. Folks will say, what are you looking for? And it's not a specific item, not a specific artifact, but instead we are just ensuring that whenever this subterranean drainage system is put in, that that construction does not impact anything that's archaeological. And what I mean by archaeological are um, artifacts, of course, which is what everyone always thinks of first, but also something we call features. And features are, they're like artifacts, but they're immovable, meaning that People have built them and left them in place. So something like a wall foundation or a floor, that's what we call a feature. And we want to make sure anything that's been created by humans in the past, that we protect that um, that information. We document everything we find, even the soil and what color and texture the soil is. All of that is important. So we want to make sure all of this area is heavily documented before that drainage system is installed. How deep are you digging? We have varying depths. We only go five feet below surface by hand, and that is because that's our OSHA standards. So anything that's deeper than five feet, you actually need to put shoring in your trenches or your excavations for safety reasons. With archaeology, we need to see what the walls, the soils look like, so we don't want to put shoring in. So we dig to five feet so we don't go anything that exceeds those OSHA standards. We dig that by um, hand. And then later there will be mechanical excavation that will dig down to eight feet. And we'll still be there. We'll screen all of the soils that come out. We'll monitor the soils. So we're definitely involved in that five to eight foot excavation, but we are not digging it by hand because of safety reasons. This is a really big job and you have a really motivated team working with you. What are their qualifications? So I have a great team of professional archaeologists with me. And what's really great about this team that I've built is that we have specialties across the board. So for example, we have a geoarchaeologist. She specializes in the geology and how that affects features, how human uh, contact has uh, affected the geology, etc. So she's really great looking at soils. She'll tell you anything and everything you want to know about a rock. <laughs> and I have a ceramicist. So that what that means is she's an expert on ceramics. She can look at ceramics and 9.5 times out of 10, she can look at a ceramic and tell you immediately what type it is. And what type of ceramic it is can give us so much information, dates, who made it, where it's from. So it's great having her on the team. We have um, another archaeologist who has done a lot of work in Europe. So having that diverse experience is really beneficial 
to our excavation methodology and interpretations. So the entire team has had prior experience in archaeology. This is our job. So um, whenever I put the team together, I made sure that everyone had substantial experience and they're bringing a lot to the table. You started work in October, and what's really fascinating is that you have found so much the project is taking longer than you expected. That's true. We were initially thinking that the archaeology would be about maybe six months, and we started in October, as you said, so we're, we're coming up on, you know, not too far away from the six-month mark, but we're only about 15% done. 15%. Yeah, so it's actually really exciting. Maybe not for construction deadlines, but for archaeology, it's pretty exciting because we're finding so much stuff, artifacts and features that date anywhere from, you know, the modern period at those the very top of the the units to the um, the mission period. We even have evidence of the battle. So it's very exciting because as I mentioned before, everything needs to be heavily documented, which takes time. Let's talk about the things you found. One absolutely amazing archaeological discovery you've made is a Spanish mission-era floor. So we have actually found several prepared surfaces uh, or floors um, in multiple units. But yes, one in particular really stands out. Um, it was spotlighted in one of the weekly updates that I send to social media. But I will admit, photos don't really do it justice. You have to be there in person. It was very, very well preserved. And, you know, this was, you know, three and a half, four feet below surface, you know, with clay, which is, you know, very moisture rich soil, which really decays a lot of prepared surfaces because typically prepared surfaces from the mission period were made out of crushed limestone or um, caliche. So they're not very stable. It's not like a floor we think of today where it's tile or, you know, wood even. These are very friable floors. And for it to be so deep with that clay on top, when we started peeling back the soil and seeing how beautiful this floor was, very well preserved, and a very large section of the floor, it almost extended the entire unit. And our units are uh, two meters by one and a half meters. So that's a pretty large surface area. And um, again, 99% certain it's mission period. We also found a bead on top of the this floor. So that's exciting too. Um, we haven't done any artifact analysis yet, but it's possible, I'm not going to, no confirmation here, but possible that it, it could be a rosary bead. This feels like the archaeologist's dream to make a discovery like this where you truly learn more about the site. Oh yeah, it's very, very exciting. And whenever we are completely done with these excavations, it will be the largest continuous excavation on the Alamo site. And this is really big because whenever you have a large area that you're excavating, obviously you're getting more data. And when you have more data, you can make better interpretations. So often with archaeology, we do sample sizes. So we're not going to excavate the entire area, just only what will be impacted. So because it's a large area that will be impacted, it gives us this very, very awesome opportunity to open up so much soil and to see what the Alamo still has to tell us. Every week we post updates on the Alamo's website and social media. And as you dig the trenches deeper, we see that each layer in the ground has a distinct color. What can you tell us about those layers? So the different layers in the soil is called stratigraphy. And stratigraphy is very important for archaeology because each layer, each soil is deposited at a certain time. 
So these different deposits can um, have specific dates or events tied to them. So looking at the, the soils, we take detailed uh, measurements of the depth, you know, how thick is this soil deposit, uh, what color. We use something called a Munsell uh, soil chart. We also look at the texture, any inclusions. We want to know as much as we can about the soil um, because it does tell us, again, when or why that soil was deposited. One of my favorite deposits that we've encountered is a ashy, loamy layer that has a lot of charcoal flecks and a ton of artifacts in it. It's a very thick layer. And again, there have been some posts on our social media with our updates that show this layer. And I, I, I have been reading some of the comments. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I see a couple of people asking about this, uh, this burn deposit. They want to know if it's the funeral pyre. And, and the answer is no. It is not the funeral pyres. They wouldn't have been in this location to begin with. Um, number two, the artifacts that we're seeing suggests more of a dumping of artifacts or maybe a trash zone, not so much an intentional like piling of um, material. So it's definitely not the funeral pyres, but because it's a lot of charcoal and ashiness in that soil, it does indicate there's burning. And for the folks who are familiar with the history of the site, we know there were a couple of fires on site. Using that information, tied in with the artifacts that I'm finding in this ashy deposit, which are things like musket balls and gun flints, it's quite possible, if not probable, that this deposit is from the fire immediately after the Battle of the Alamo when Santa Ana ordered his troops to set fire to the site. I think that's what we're looking at here. That's incredible. That is history coming to life. We think, though. We think, yes. We need to qualify that. You are still doing your work. But right now, this is your hypothesis. Yes. Uh, and that's really important to clarify. A lot of people think that as soon as we pull something out of the ground, we immediately know what it is, why it was there, what it dates to. And whenever we're in the field, the priority is, is getting the excavations done. So after we're done in the field, that's when we go back to the lab, we do our artifact analysis, and we analyze um, the soils again, looking at our documentation, we take soil samples, and then after that analysis, that's whenever we do our interpretation and our conclusions. And we'll dive deeper into that in a moment, but in the meantime, you have found some really neat objects. Let's talk about a few of them. So one that was a very exciting find was a six-sided game die, which was made out of animal bone. And it is a very, very cool piece. Unfortunately, because of its context, where we found it, it was found in a mixed context. The soils, those layers, had all been churned up, meaning they'd been disturbed at some point. So we don't know anything about the, the game die other than it's a, a six-sided game die made out of animal bone. It's something we can relate to today, playing board games with your family. Oh, yeah. And what I really like about the, um, the piece which is also on our website um, if, if people want to go and, and scrutinize it um, after what I say. So the, there's one corner of the die that is more rounded than the other. And so that could suggest that if someone is left-handed versus right-handed, they shake that die in their hand and they toss the die on the ground, that that corner is what is hitting the ground more often, and that's why it's rounded off. Wow. 
You never think about something like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You've also found ceramic pieces, stone tools, a glass jar, musket balls. Oh, yeah. There's tons and tons and tons of artifacts. I think at this point, our count of artifacts is well over five, 6,000. Um, five, 6,000. Not yes. hundreds here. We're talking thousands. thousands. And to be fair, not all of those artifacts are artifacts that people will find exciting. They're not always um, museum quality, but they're still something that was made by a person, used by a person. So it's still important for archaeologists. The ceramics are one of my favorite artifacts because you can get so much information about ceramics. We have a, a really interesting stone tool that started off as a projectile point or an arrowhead, but then at some point was either broken or maybe whoever you know found it or had it needed a different tool. So you can see where they retouched or you know essentially re-napped the projectile point into almost like a, a cutting implement. And whenever you hold it in your hand, your thumb um, fits over it perfectly as if you were using it to cut. So um, that one was really cool. And I think at this point, maybe five musket balls. Do we think they're from the battle? Yes. Wow. Found in that ashy deposit. I feel like I keep saying wow, but <laughs> it's because this is a wow project. It really is. And you're not the only one. Even us archaeologists who've been doing it a while, anytime we find artifacts like this, you can hear, wow, wow, look what I found. What makes these smaller objects like the ceramic pieces such interesting discoveries for you? All of these artifacts have a story. They tell us what activities were going on in this area. So, of course, this area, and um, to kind of orient everyone, where, where the Long Barrack is in the Cavalry Courtyard. So essentially the, the backside, if you will, of the Long Barrack. The northern end. Yes. And what was happening, the activities that were going on in this location, they're not going to be the same as what was going on in the church or in the plaza or even, you know, far east where we now have the new collection center, you have different areas of the site that were utilized in different ways, just like your own house, right? Uh, so what's exciting is getting this information and really starting to understand what was going on at the Long Barrack. And before it was the Long Barrack, when it was just the Convento. So to figure out, you know, what was everyone doing there? Were they you know, playing games? Were they storing their, you know, their food back there? What were they doing? And all of these artifacts can tell that story. Before you started this project, you were really excited to bring in students from San Antonio College to do some real archaeological field work with you. Yes, I was so excited to partner with San Antonio College and Dr. Bernadette Cap to create a unique learning opportunity for archaeology students. So students were on the site for four days during their class period and observed excavations and identified artifacts. It was great for students because they get that hands-on learning. It's an experience that is uh, unparalleled, to be quite honest. So students came in, and we had them under supervision. They were screening the soil and picking out artifacts, and then we took them to the lab for two days, and looked at, they looked at some of the artifacts that um, they had pulled out and did some basic analysis on them. So it was, it was very exciting for the students because it's an opportunity that not every class can have. Getting out of the classroom, too, is so important in this field. Exactly. You know, archaeology is very, very hands-on, and you're not going to learn it all from a textbook. It's, I think, well, with a lot of jobs, right? It's doing the work. And so this was able to, you know, give students a, a, a very little taste of what archaeology actually is like. 
And um, it's really important because if any of those students were thinking, you know, I want to be an archaeologist, now they have a, an idea of what that means. When visitors walk into Calvary Courtyard, they can see you working. And I hear a lot of them have asked, are you taking volunteers? <laughs> Unfortunately, we are not taking volunteers. As I mentioned before, the team is comprised of professional archaeologists. This is our job. Also, on a project like this, because we do have a construction deadline, we're not, we're not simply doing archaeology for fun here. Uh, we're doing this in advance of construction work. We do have a deadline, and so we need to move efficiently. And we don't have the time to really prepare a volunteer and to let them have the full experience and know what they're doing. I would like in the future to have opportunities so we could have public archaeology because I think uh, education and archaeology are very, very important, especially at a site like the Alamo. And I'd love to do something like that in the future. Um, but unfortunately, I can't do it for this project. A surprisingly robust conversation on social media involves your use of the metric system. We've been posting photos where you've measured artifacts to give people perspective. And many of our followers want to know, why do you use the metric system? This has been a very, um, very asked question. I have seen those, those comments that uh, a lot of people are curious, why are we using a metric system? And the simple answer is it's industry standard. All archaeologists use the metric system. For those who may not be well-versed in the metric system, 10 centimeters roughly equates to 4 inches, and 1 meter is roughly 39 inches, a little over 3 feet. Okay, so. that gives us some extra perspective when we're looking at these photos People have also been asking for a map with the exact locations of excavations, but that's not something you can provide at this time. Correct. And this is another industry standard. We do not share exact locations of excavation units. And the main reason for this is to prevent looting of sites. So I'm not saying that would happen here at the Alamo, but it does happen in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. So we don't give exact locations to the public. And the Alamo Rangers are watching this area very closely for you. We appreciate their security. Oh yes, the Rangers have been fantastic. But we do want to point out how much work you do to catalog all this work for the historical record. Yes, there are copious amounts of documentation throughout the process. We draw detailed scaled maps for each soil level and, and any features we come across. We produce uh, soil uh, profile maps. Several pictures are taken every day throughout the day. All of this will be saved indefinitely. The cataloging process is, for artifacts is also very meticulous. We want as much information as possible so that 100 years from now, you know, their technology and methodology will be, I'm hoping, improved. <laughs> and, you know, an archaeologist in the future can go back and look at our notes and then get, you know, maybe a better interpretation. So everything is documented heavily. So even though we aren't um, maybe providing that documentation to the public at this time. In real time. In real time. It's still happening. And I, I would like to know at the very, uh, the tail end of the project, and, and not just excavation, but after artifact analysis, after report writing, there will be a public report that is, will be accessible to the general public. And to make that report, you take all the artifacts back to the lab. And that's easy when they're small. What if they are really big, like that Spanish mission era floor? So something like the floor that was removed... So that's something that we, uh, we discuss with multiple archaeologists after it's been documented. It has to be removed because that's where the drainage system is going to go. So heavily document it, and then it's removed. 
your work outside the lawn bear continues. What happens next? Uh, we have excavations probably for the, the next few months. After that, there's going to be detailed analysis of all of our documentation, all of the artifacts. Then we begin writing the report. A little idea of how long this takes. You can do this quick calculation of one week in the field excavating equals three weeks out of the field doing your analysis, doing your reporting, looking through your photos. So it's it takes you know quite a bit of time. So the completion of that report, we're probably looking at 2027, maybe, maybe, maybe 2026. I just had to stop for a second and realize that we're already in 2024. We are, but this just goes to show this is such a long-term project for you. Yes, it is. If visitors do see you out there working, when is the best time to come up and ask you questions? We love when folks come out and ask us questions. We have a very short palisade fence. I think it's like three and a half feet tall, so it very easily can see us. And we have our screens set up next to the fence so folks can come and ask us questions. We are there throughout the day. So there's not really a specific good time or bad time, but I will say that if you see the archaeologist maybe having lunch or maybe there's not someone standing there at the screen, um, then maybe refrain from you know calling out to us. Being an archaeologist is really cool. It's just one of those cool jobs. But I imagine not every day is as exciting as we think. How has this project reinvigorated you? I love everything about archaeology and I love coming into work every day. But what is very exciting about this project is having such a large exposure of the project area. As I mentioned before, the largest continuous excavation on site. So we're able to get data that we wouldn't have been able to get if we only opened, you know, one unit or two units or even 10 units. So just having that large area exposed and getting just so much data, that is very, very exciting. If anyone has been following Alamo Archaeology, they know a year ago we were working in the plaza in advance of the Mission Gate in Lunette, and we had did some excavations there and didn't find anything. The area had already been disturbed so much by modern construction that there was nothing left. So it's a little bit of a disappointment when you, you, know, you put so much time and you're not, you're not finding any archaeological artifacts or features. So, so this is really exciting for this project, to be able to, to find so much and to learn more about a piece of the Alamo story. A responsibility you take very seriously. I do. Dr. Tiffany Lindley, thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to have you back on and hear about whatever amazing things you discover next. The Alamo posts weekly archaeological updates on our website, as well as social media, to keep the public informed of the latest developments with the project. We'll be sure to link to those updates in the podcast notes. You've been listening to Stories Bigger Than Texas, the Alamo podcast. Podcast.